Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello, I'm Don Britton and welcome to another Great Deception podcast. Today I'm going to talk with you about the difference between false worship versus the true worship of God in spirit and truth. You know, as you drive down the road and you pass church buildings, here's what you're going to see. You're going to pass a sign that says something like this. It says, worship service, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning or 6 p.m. on Sunday evening or 7.30 and 7.30 on Wednesday evening. Of course, some people meet on Saturday and possibly other days of the week, but the message is still going to be about the same. It's suggesting that worship is something that is done in a building at an address at a set point in time. But what we want to do today is examine what does the Bible teach about what true worship is for the church. I want you to notice what Jesus told the woman at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. I want to emphasize this. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's John 4, verses 19 through 24. So Jesus was obviously speaking of a time when the old outward form of worship would end. Of course, the time he was referring to was the time of his death on the cross when the ordinances of the law would be nailed to the cross and the new church age would then begin. The old form of outward worship, including having to go to a temple building or or any kind of a building, or, or some sacred place, or to a mountain, or something like that, in order to worship, was going to be over with. There at this particular location, where people used to have to go, there, you know, to worship in the old days, before, before Christ, there would be certain outward things that would be done, like physical sacrifices would be made, or certain rituals would be performed, or there would be singing, or bowing, or the lifting of hands, or the offering of tithes. All this was part of the old worship system. Whatever, though, was done, it was a physical act done in a physical location and done at a certain time appointed for the service. The problem now is that men have brought back the old form of worship, the old mindset, back again. And honestly, it started with the Catholic Church, you know, about 1,700 years ago. But they brought it back again causing the traditions of men now to take over and to invalidate what the Word of God says to make it ineffective. It is the Word of God that says that God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and truth. Under the law, 
God was not worshipped in spirit. He was worshipped in the physical. So he, God, does not dwell in buildings made with hands, but now he lives inside his people. So what is a worship service? This is something I've, I've asked before. You know, what is a worship service according to the Bible? So what is it to worship in spirit and truth? And where and when should that take place? Well, let's see what the scripture says. Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present yourselves or to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans 12, 1 through 2. So nothing you can do, think about this, so nothing you can do at church on Sunday can substitute for you presenting your body as a living and holy sacrifice to be acceptable to God as your spiritual service of worship on a daily basis. This is to be done in and from the heart, from your heart at all times, seven days a week. You can't go to a building on certain occasions in order to do this. It's a heart thing, a matter of the heart, not some outward religious ceremony or some physical act that God wants from you. Worship must be done in spirit and in the heart, not at a building or with a man-made ceremony. So where's the house of God today? Where's the temple located now? Paul said, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. So we are the temple of God and therefore worship must take place inside of us, in our hearts and our bodies, not a building or some other place, not a mountain or some sacred place that we have to go to or do something outward. Paul also goes on to say, and do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In your body. He didn't say in the church building on Sunday. He said glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Again, our bodies are the temple of God and the only acceptable place of worship to God. And we are to offer up our bodies in holy living at all times. This is our service of worship. This is what God wants. He wants us to offer up ourselves to him daily rather than just give him some traditions on Sunday or whenever you go to a building done over and over again by rote. That is that mechanical repetition where you do the same thing over and over week after week. To be honest with you, the Lord is sick of all this. He wants a heart that's totally his. He wants his people to love him with all their heart not just the same old religious outward worship offered to him week after week, the same way over and over again. In his eyes, this is just meaningless repetition and it's not coming by the Spirit of God and it's not worship in spirit and truth. You see, you worship God in spirit and truth when you love him with all your heart. This is done by the Spirit. 
and not by outward singing of a song or raising of hands on Sunday or any other outward ritualistic act. What is done by the Spirit is that which is from the heart, inside the heart, and carried out in, in the body daily. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew ten thirty four through 37. So you, should, you worship him in spirit and truth when you love him more than your family. You worship the Lord in spirit and truth when you refuse to love any family member more than the Lord. When anyone really turns to the Lord with all of his heart, he begins to practice righteous living. Then some of his religious and ungodly family members, they will turn against him when he takes a stand for what is right. This is why Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace in your family. There will be trouble in the family when anyone gives God his whole heart. If you compromise with your family for the sake of peace, it's really false peace, or because you love your father or mother or son or daughter more than Jesus, then you are not worthy of him. Most so-called Christians today never worship the Lord by loving him more than their own earthly family members. It's so much easier just to go to church at worship time and sing a few songs than to take a righteous stand with your family members who are close to you and risk losing their favor. Jesus promised that you would have division in your family, that is, if you gave your whole heart to him. He knew it would require sacrifice on your part. But today, few are really willing to be rejected by family, also their religious friends, because of the Lord and his holy standards of living. Most people worship, that is, they love their family more than the Lord. Therefore, their going to church worship service consists of traditions learned by repetition, by rote, and their hearts are far from pleasing God in this matter. And Jesus goes on to say, And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. So you worship the Lord in spirit and truth when you take up your cross and follow after Jesus. Your cross is your cross, not the cross of Jesus. It seems that every denomination and every preacher focuses its message on the cross of Jesus. But rarely, almost never, does any pastor or preacher or prophet teach you about your cross. Your cross is the place of your suffering. It's the place of your death to self. It's the place of your death to sin. Your cross is a place where you deny yourself of worldly pleasures the deeds of the flesh, and anything that would you would love more than God. Your cross is a place where you give up your old life for his sake. If you don't give up your old life, you will not have heaven with the Lord later. It's just that simple. Only if you lose your life for his sake will you find eternal life. And he was saying to them, Jesus again speaking, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 Again, you can't even consider following Jesus until you begin to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. 
Jesus had his cross and you will have your cross to bear. It's your cross. Jesus is not going in the direction towards any kind of sin or any kind of the ways of the world. He is not participating any of the, in any of the world's idolatry. He has nothing to do with gossip, divorce, lust, deception, anger, jealousy or impurity or pornography or adultery or immorality or drunkenness or anything like this. So no one can follow Jesus without taking up his own cross and denying himself of sin in every form. Since Jesus is not going in that direction, you, how can you follow him if he's not going in that direction if you're trying to follow sin? You can't live like the rest of the world and then go to church on Sunday and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and, think, and deceive yourself into thinking that you have worshiped God. Unless you're taking up your own cross daily and dying daily to your selfish ways, you are not worshiping God. No matter how loud you sing at church, no matter how high you raise your hands, and God is not impressed because you lift your hands like some think. I've seen people brag about, oh, they lift their hands. You know, so what? What has that got to do with anything of the heart? God is looking at the heart. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now that you want to impress God, then die daily. Die daily to your selfish ways. Die daily to sin. Give up your life for him. That's what God is looking for. Not you raising your hands on Sunday or singing a beautiful song. He wants you to die daily. Paul understood this very well. He died daily. This was his spiritual service of worship to the Lord God Almighty. To continually offer up himself to the Lord daily by denying himself of sin, denying himself of the world, and even denying himself of his own will. Paul knew he did not have to wait for some church to open on Sunday to have a worship service in order to worship the Lord. Paul did it in spirit and truth daily. I once knew a guy who was a, he was really a greedy false pastor. That's the best way to describe him. And he was uh, thinking of starting a new church again. He'd done this before. And he told me, he said, I know exactly how to start a new church and how many people come quickly and how to have great financial success with it. I said, how in the world are you going to do that? He said, it is the music. It's all about the music program. He explained to me that having a great assembly of good musicians and a well-trained choir would be very appealing to lots of people. He also told me that the preaching should be comforting without making anyone feel guilty and not too, too long in order to make the people feel better about going to church. But it was really about the music. The music was the attraction. But here's the question I have for you. What does music or choir or singing have to do with true worship to the Lord from a biblical standpoint? Oh, I know what you think from your experiences and I know what you think from tradition and what's done all the time, but I'm talking about from a biblical perspective. For an example, consider this. In the Bible, there is not one record in the New Testament where any of the churches ever had a worship service, nor did any of them have a minister of music, nor did any of them use a choir or have a worship leader or have a musical band of any sorts 
or even just a song leader. It's just not there. It's just not there. All scriptures inspired by God is profitable for teaching and for training in righteousness and for reproof and for correction. There's nothing in the scripture that describes any such thing. This is all made up. It's made up by man. It's just not there. So how is it then that virtually every church today has most, if not all of these things, while calling the music and the singing a worship service? This does not come from the Bible. So I ask you, where did it come from? The Bible's made it clear that worship is something done in and from the heart daily and not some building, not at some building somewhere at a specified time. Again, do you see how the traditions of men have taken over today and how the worship of today consists of traditions learned by rote, by repetition, by practice, by just doing it again and again, and then it gets entrenched in people and that this is far from the will and heart of God? Well, if you're not convinced yet, just keep listening because I have more to share. And since worship is a heart matter, then let me ask you something. Who can lead you in worship? What's a worship leader? How can somebody lead somebody's heart to worship God from the heart by the Spirit? If it's not motivated from within your own heart to obey God or to do the right thing, to acknowledge God, to praise God, to, to love God, to thank God, and to forgive others or to deny yourself of sin or to take up your own cross and so forth and so forth, then isn't it just a phony, empty, and meaningless thing for someone to lead you in a song? Is it not just going through the, the, through the emotions of, of emotional repetition week after week for you to sit or stand or sing in church? Who can lead your heart except you and your own willingness to allow the Spirit of God to do so? So having said that, then what is a worship leader? Come on, think about it. All he can do is tell you to stand up or to sit down or to sing the first and third verses or to turn to page so-and-so in your hymn or to follow the verses on the overhead projector. And, you know, all he can do is just tell you what to do and kind of lead you like a, like a robot in it. It's just up and down, singing and not singing, when he says so, Doing what Simon, like they say, like what Simon says. Everybody's doing what Simon says. Everybody's doing the same thing at the same time, the same way, like programmed robots. Do you really think, think about this. Do you really think this is what the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, super genius, super intelligent God wants from us? This is what he wants? Do you think we can really please him or impress him? with good music or with an emotional song when he's really looking for what's going on in our hearts? Do you really think that this is worship in spirit and truth, what we've been doing in America, what we've been, what people do around the world in Christianity? Do you really think this is what God wants? And do you really think that another human being can lead you to worship from the heart? From your heart? Do you think somebody can lead you to worship from your heart? Think about it. This is why there was no such thing as a worship leader exist. They didn't exist in the New Testament church. They knew better than this. Worship must be done in the spirit and truth, in the heart and in the body, which is the true temple, rather than at a physical building or at a set time that you go to or a set place. It's total nonsense for you to think, for anybody to think, that you could be led into true worship by another person since it's an individual heart thing done by the will of that person and led by the Holy Spirit from inside that person. 
True worship is not some outward thing that we can be controlled by through another human being by telling you or me to stand and sing or to clap or to sit down or stand up or lift our hands or praise God or say this or say that or repeat these words. That's not true worship. That's mechanical nonsense. All of these forms of so-called worship only stir up misleading emotions and these emotions give people a false sense of somehow of having been closer to God or having pleased God or having worshiped God when this is not what he wants at all. So what about singing? Well, there's nothing legally wrong with singing. There's nothing wrong with singing. Singing is singing. As long as we don't tell somebody that singing is worship to God, but singing is just singing. It certainly can be edifying and, and that's a good thing, but the Bible does not define true worship as merely singing. And singing can be used as a, as a way to edify others in a meeting by someone, but it's more for the people to be edified. It has nothing to do with worship to God. It's, it's for the people. Just like teaching is for the people. It's like prophecies for the people. It's like, you know, it's like revelation is for the people. It's like, it's like whatever's being done is to be done to edify the people. Let everything be done for edification, Paul said. So it can be edifying for the people but it's not worship to God. And there's certainly no law against singing, and I'm not suggesting that, but the singing itself is not to be defined as worship any more than any other spiritual gift is. But what has happened now is that singing and other forms of music have been made into a substitution. Listen to me. It has substituted for true worship, causing people to believe that when they sing, or they participate in the music, or they participate in the service at the church building, that they somehow have come and left having worshiped God, which is truly false. So what does the Bible say concerning psalms and hymns? Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he said, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. Edification means to be built up with understanding and revelation in your mind concerning the things of God. In other words, it's helped you. It's, draw, it's drawn you closer to God. It's given you a better understanding of God's will. That's what edifying means, to be built up with understanding in your mind. It's not about an emotional experience. It's about, uh, it's about understanding in your mind, not how you feel. A lot of people define edification as having a good feeling. You can ride a roller coaster and have a good feeling. That's not edification. Again, he said, let each one, each one has a psalm. Each one has a teaching. Each one has a revelation. Each one has a tongue. Each one has an interpretation. Again, there's no corporate worship here service. There's no corporate worship service here with a song slash worship leader leading people to sing. It's a situation where a person, each person, each individual comes with something to give. One may have a psalm or a song to give for edification. Someone else may have a revelation to give for edification. Someone else may have a teaching to give for edification. Someone else may have a prophecy or a tongue or an interpretation to give for edification. Not everyone is doing the same thing at the same time like we have in a typical worship service today where everybody's singing together. 
If someone has a song to speak or to sing for edification, then let that person speak it or sing it. If another has a teaching for edification, let that person teach it. These gifts and services are offered on an individual basis for the common good, one gift at a time, not the way we see worship services done today. Paul said to let everything be done decently and in order. Another thing, the best way that the church as a whole can produce the beautiful sound the Lord really wants to hear is to be of the same mind, to be in one accord, to be in harmony together with one voice, to be in agreement with each other. That means there are no divisions, not thousands of denominations. There's no Methodist and Presbyterian and Catholic and Pentecostal and Church of Christ and Church of God and Lutheran. There's, you know, that's not, that's not one mind. That's not one accord. The church is all splintered up into a thousand denominations, so, so to speak. Also, another way for the church to make the beautiful sound the Lord would like to hear on a local basis, it would be that the members themselves in that local church would have no quarrels among them, no strife, no jealousy, no evil suspicions of one another, no, no, uh, no judgments against one another, no angry tempers, no unforgiveness among them. Can you only imagine how much of an abomination it is to the Lord God Almighty to have a local church or have members who are angry uh, with one another, you know, like Brother Smith, Brother Jones, one goes in one door, one goes out the other door. They don't even speak to each other, yet they come and stand together and sing, oh, how they love Jesus. Isn't that ridiculous? Yet it happens all the time. Or have other members that are jealous of one another or some that are hating one another or some that are, you know, some that have issues with one another and can't stand one another and gossip against each other and slander one another, and yet they come together in the same building and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus during the worship service at church. How do you think Jesus would feel about having church members in willful sin also singing, Oh, how I love God. Oh, praise be to the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, whatever. While these church members are in willful sin, committing adultery in pornography, committing fornication for those that are not married, living in bitterness of unforgiveness towards family members or people who have harmed them in their life, and they're standing there while they're singing praises to God as the minister of music directs them and leads them in worship. How ridiculous is that? Then the members brag about how good the worship service was when they leave. Oh, that was a nice worship service, Pastor. Oh, that was a nice worship service, Minister of Music. Oh, that was such a good worship service. But this is the dis disgusting condition. Think about it. This is the disgusting condition of almost all of the so-called worship services that go on week after week with the church today, the American church, full of sin, living like the world, involved in every aspect of wickedness that society is, and virtually no one even questions it. And they think they have pleased God because they've gone to church and they sung a few songs or they've attended the meeting and somehow they think they have worshipped God. It's ridiculous. The Lord must be thoroughly sickened with it all. And again, here we go. The traditions of men rule rather than the will of God. So the Lord desires a church. A Christian church, a Christian, a, a Christian nation of churches that live in harmony together. Do we not understand yet that we're the instruments that make the joyful sound to the Lord? 
It's not the pianos or the guitars or the orchestra or the choir. You don't have to go to choir practice for this. You don't have to have the orchestra plan and schedule and practice the songs they're going to play and get it all just perfect. That That's all for the flesh. That's all outward stuff. That's the way it was with the law. That's the way it was under the law. That's the way it was before Christ. Worship is something that should come from within our hearts and not from a building. God is a spirit and he's not flesh and blood. He listens. God listens with spiritual ears to the internal sounds that come from within our hearts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what's really going on inside of us. He's not just listening to physical, earthly sound waves that would normally strike the drum, eardrum of a physical man. God hears if we have a grumbling heart. God hears if we're angry or if we're jealous or if we're in lust or if we're in adultery or we're enjoying pornography or if we're liars or cheats or if we're sinning in any way or if we're bitter or if we have other idols in our heart. God knows if there's anything in us that's contrary to him. He knows because he hears it coming from within our hearts. And this is what God hears when we come together. He hears all these different horrible sounds coming from our heart. So whatever spiritual sounds that are actually coming from within our hearts, that's what he hears. And in view of the awful sinful condition of the worldly American church today, this wretched sound must be unthinkably terrible to the spiritual ears of a holy God. And then the superficial, empty, meaningless, so-called typical worship service being offered up today with its nice orchestras and its bands and it's sometimes, sometimes it's got laser lights and all this stuff going on. Does Do we think that this this can drown out the terrible noise that God's hear, God hears coming from within our hearts? of all the church hypocrites, do we think somehow that that just, that just does away with what we really are? There's no way you can go to church and sing a few songs and, and say you've worshiped God. If you have anything wrong in your heart with your spouse, your brother, your neighbor, or with God, if you're right with God and you have truly worshiped him in spirit and truth each day of the week, then you certainly have no need to go to a building somewhere and sing a few songs at church on Sunday or Saturday to say then you worship God. Because if you've done what's right, because if, you, if you've given the Lord what he really wants, your, which is your adoration from the heart, your love from the heart, your obedience from the heart, your faithfulness from the heart, and to his word, this is your spiritual service of worship, which is to offer up your body as a living sacrifice to God. Then you've done what he wants. You can't substitute for what he really wants. At singing at church can never substitute for what he wants. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So again, it should be clear by now what the Lord really wants. He wants the song. The song he wants sung is to hear is for his church as a whole, his people of, uh, with a spiritual voice of harmony with one voice, with one faith, with one gospel, with one church, in agreement, with one mind and one one doctrine, common doctrines, bearing fruit, living righteously before him, being obedient 
by taking up our cross daily and denying ourselves of all worldly desires. This is what he really wants. This is a beautiful song he wants sung. He wants his people as a whole to, for their hearts to be coming together in harmony, for them to be one mind and one heart. And as a result, he wants his people then to worship him in spirit and truth. And it's done every day in everything they do. If this song is sung, if this song is sung, the one I just described, and this worship takes place, then you will have no need to go to a certain building at a certain time on a certain day to worship because you'll already be worshiping in spirit and truth. Can you see that, th that this is such an insult? Think about this. To the almighty, all-knowing mastermind of the universe, this God whom we say we love, whom we say we want to worship, he is far more intelligent than every human being on the earth put together to suggest that this awesome, super genius, magnificent God and creator has some kind of a carnal need to wait until everyone can get together at church on Sunday or whenever and start the music up for him so he can be worshipped to think that is insane. How could anyone think that all he wants from us is for us to come together together weekly and sing him a few songs on Sunday as if we were mechanical robots being directed by a quote-unquote so-called worship leader who's leading us and telling us what to sing, how to sing it, when to sing it. This kind of thinking is mindless. And it is such a slap in his face, such a lie, such a falsehood to teach people that this mighty, super-intelligent God only wants something so superficial and so meaningless as man-made worship rather than him having all of our hearts full of obedience and love for him. So here's how the Lord feels about this man-made worship that substitutes what he really wants from his people. He spoke about it a long time ago. Amos 5, 21 through 24. He said, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. He said your songs are noise to him. He doesn't want to hear them. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Your musicians, your music, your orchestras, I don't, your bands, I don't want to listen to them. But here's what he said. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So what does God want? He wants justice and righteousness in his people. He doesn't care about our songs. He doesn't care about our, our harps, our orchestras, our bands, our musicians. He doesn't care about any of that. He wants justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So the Lord God Almighty absolutely hates church meetings with the rituals and ceremonies that men offer to him when he doesn't want that at all, especially when justice and righteousness are missing. He said, take away from me, take away the noise of your song. And he said, I will not listen to your musical instruments. He hates this. He hates it. To come together and to sing and make music when sin and worldliness is not even addressed? And to call the superficial singing and playing of instruments a worship service when God never instructed the church to worship in this way? 
The Lord wants all of our hearts and he wants for us to love him and obey him completely. If we do that, it's enough. It is enough. He will be well pleased. So please don't insult him. Don't insult this super intelligent being with a superficial man-made worship service used to substitute, used to substitute for a wholehearted love and obedience to him. No one can lead you to worship in spirit and truth except the Holy Spirit. There is no physical location to go to for worship, and it's not something to be done at a set time using a clock or a calendar to figure out when to worship. It is. Worship is the total surrender of your life to Jesus and your full repentance from sin and your complete obedience to his word every day at all times and in every place you go and in everything you do. When you take up your cross and deny yourself of worldly desires and follow him with all your heart, you're offering up your body as a living sacrifice and dying daily to self, which is your reasonable service of worship. This is worshiping in spirit and truth. And nothing you can do at church at a church meeting can substitute for this true worship that the Lord desires. Most people who attend church have a love affair with the worship service rather than with the Lord. They love the music. They love the choir. They love the singing. They love the band. They love the orchestra. And some love the traditional hymns and some love the contemporary modern songs. And they love all this along with the other rituals and ceremonies that, that take place at church. There are even now Christian radio stations devoted to mainly doing nothing more than just playing quote-unquote Christian music with virtually no teaching of the Word of God, just music, music, and more music. And a lot of this music is patterned after the world's rock and roll. And they try to sanitize it by calling it Christian rock. That's like saying Christian drugs and Christian sex. It's kind of like you put the name Christian on it. Everybody says, oh, that's Christian music because... You know, but it's doing the same thing for people. It's giving them what they want. It's satisfying their, their lust for the feeling that they get from it. It's sensuality. People are looking at it because, and listening to it because they enjoy it, not because it does anything spiritually for them. And these Christian rockers often offer concerts where Christian music artists come to play and sing for the people's pleasure. This is very popular and is highly esteemed among the people that's supposed to be the people of God, but it's without any serious, these Christian concerts are without any serious call to repentance and without addressing the sins of the church members who come to hear their music. If there really was any kind of preaching done there, like Jesus or Paul or John the Baptist would have, most of these people would be highly offended. That is those who came to this concert, these quote unquote Christian concerts, They'd be highly offended and they'd be greatly disappointed and they'd want their money back because after all, they didn't come to hear the word of God. They came to worship the music rather than God and they didn't come to hear and obey his word. No, sir, don't give me any of that word stuff. I came for the music. Not only do the people come to bow down to and to worship the music, but also the musicians and the singers. These so-called Christian artists often arrive in a limousine, much like the rock stars of the world do, with the Christian, so-called Christian fans, get this, screaming and applauding them like they were some kind of God. And after they perform, the people scream some more, whistle and clap and 
carry on having a fit, so to speak, as if these these performers were to be worshipped like God. These so-called celebrities, they they not only allow people to do this, they enjoy it. They allow the people to treat them in such a way as only deserved by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is obvious where the object of worship is. It's the music and the musician, not the Lord God Almighty. He said, you shall have no other gods before me, and he meant it. Also notice something else. These so-called Christian artists, they're making lots and lots of money from the concerts and from the sales of their music CDs and so forth. Many of them have become very rich. Again, didn't we hear somewhere that whatever we've received, that, that is, if it's from God, if, it, we, if we had received it freely, then shouldn't we also freely give it? Have we forgotten what Jesus did in the temple, turning over the money changers' tables and whipping them out of the temple because they were selling the so-called objects of worship? Did we, did we forget about that? He called them a den of robbers. Why should we think that Jesus sees it any different today selling our so-called spiritual gifts of worship for money? You see, most of all, the so-called worship today is nothing more than just entertainment for the flesh, something that keeps people coming back week after week because they enjoy it. The Charismatics and Pentecostals often sing for long periods of time, and that seems to put the people into a hypnotic, emotional trance which they deeply enjoy. It gives them a great feeling. They call it high praise. The Catholics, though, they swing their incense pots and, the, and they chant. And then the Lutherans sing in a very stiff and formal way. Church of Christ sings only a cappello without any musical instruments. And the non-denominational churches have live bands with drums and, and all kinds of other instruments. Also, the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians, they worship through reading their prayers from a book of common prayer. And the Baptists, they're big on the choir music. And they have these big, beautiful choirs, more than most others do. But all of these different forms of worship are all man-made. And none of them are found in the instructions of the New Testament for the church. Churches have been divided over the kinds of music used, whether there should be instruments used at all, or what kinds of instruments can be used some think drums are evil and some think they're okay or whether the singing should be done from a traditional hymn book or if modern contemporary music and songs are okay. But here's the problem. Haven't they missed the whole point of what Jesus was saying that we should worship in spirit and truth? It's not about the kind of songs you're singing or the kind of instruments you're using or whether you're using instruments or you're singing a cappella. It's about the heart. You see, the focus has always been with the, with the religious world, with the false church, with man, it's always been on the outward forms of worship resulting in the heart being ignored. As a result, we have countless so-called Christians who have been deceived into believing that they are worshiping God when they participate in these various forms of so-called worship. They think that they have, have to, they think that they have to go to a church building and be led by man and either sing a song or listen to the choir or enjoy the music in order to worship God. They have been deceived into believing that worship takes place somewhere at some location at some certain time and be led by some certain person. Shouldn't we check with the Lord and see what he says about this and how he really feels about this so-called worship? Well, the Lord has already spoken through his prophets 
He's also spoken through Jesus and Paul. And he hates it, especially when justice and righteousness are not practiced by his people. In 2 Peter 2, Peter says that false prophets lead the people by their fleshly desires and by sensuality. Traditional and contemporary Christian music does just that. The worship service is now worshiped rather than the Lord. The music is, is desired more than righteousness. If you happen to, if you were to remove the music program from virtually any church in America today, that church would dry up quickly. Let's say all you had was the teaching of the word and you had people have an opportunity to exercise their own personal gift like it was in the New Testament, like it was in the book of Corinthians. And it was simple. And you didn't have all the worship service stuff going on. It would dry up quickly. Can you imagine a church that was just operating in a simple way? The music today is used by church leaders to manipulate the members into certain moods to accomplish the purposes of those leaders. Some of the main moods are the financial giving mood or the altar call mood or the pull to support a special program mood or to make one feel close to God mood or somehow to play the music in the background while the speaker is speaking to make you feel like God is speaking. Or the, see, the music is powerful. It is, is powerful and is used by church leaders for emotional and mood control, which is really mind control. And they use it as a marketing tool for their church business. This has gone on for centuries. The Catholics perfected this many centuries ago in their large cathedrals. They used well-trained singers making soothing, pleasing, mystical vocal sounds of songs, and they were able to capture the hearts of the listeners because of that sound that echoed off those walls of those high cathedrals, and it was really mystical. And it caused the worshiper, or it caused the, the member who came to feel closer to God. But folks, it was only a feeling. It was not a reality. And this is how false teachers, false prophets, false pastors lead by sensuality. They make you feel good. They make you enjoy the service. They make you enjoy the sounds of the music and the things you see and feel when you go to church. But the Lord said in Deuteronomy 8 verses 19 and 20, he said, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord made perish before you, you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So just to be clear again, worship is not about singing or making music. Singing is singing and music is music. Worship to God is about what your heart goes after. Or let me just say this, any worship, any worship is about what your heart goes after. And, the, and, and, it, and it really is, the worship is really about the God you serve from within. Whatever God that is, whether it's the Lord your God or another God. For an example, if your God is money, you don't go gather people around you and get a band of musical instruments together to make music and sing songs about money in order to worship the God of money, do you? Come on, think about it. Does that make any sense? Of course not. You just practice greed from your heart. You live it out. It's what you do every day. The way you worship any of the other gods of this world 
is to give them your heart, to give them your affection, your, your thoughts, your love, your devotion, your obedience, and then to do everything you can in your everyday life that you can to satisfy your desire for that God, for that, for that thing you love. It doesn't matter if that God is pride, sex, lust, greed, selfishness, anger, jealousy, sports, money, or any one of those many other gods offered by this world. If you worship and serve the God of sexual lust, if you worship and serve the God of sexual lust, you do so from within your heart. Every time you entertain lustful thoughts, you commit immoral acts, you view sexual content, you look at pornography, or you participate in dirty jokes with your friends. You don't have to sing any songs about lust in order to worship the God of lust. Are you getting the point now? That worship is a heart thing. I don't care if it's for God or something else. You just serve. That in other words, you don't have to. You don't have to sing any songs about lust in order to worship the God of sexual lust. Just serve lust from within your heart and your body. If your God is your denomination, you will defend its errors and its false practices and make excuses for your pastor and say that your church is different. And you will do so until you die because you love it more than God unless you repent. Neither do you worship the one and only true living God by using music, but from within your heart. You worship him when you choose to please him in your day-to-day life in all the ways you do business, the way you treat others, the the way you work, the way you think, and the way you conduct yourself as you go along in your day-to-day life as you obey him and love him from the heart. There is no temple or church building you can go to for this kind of true worship service, no more than there is a temple building you can go to for any other God you can worship. You are supposed to be the temple of God, and true worship should should take place in your heart at all times and at every location as you walk with God and serve him with your life and do so from your heart. No church service can substitute for true worship, and no building can substitute for your heart and body which is the true temple of God, and no outward act can substitute for your love and obedience towards God from your heart. So, do you understand now what it is to worship in spirit and truth? I hope you do. I hope you listen next week for another Great Deception podcast. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog, and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.